On this episode of Eager to Know, activating the creative part of your brain, why artists should consider a vampire lifestyle, and how I never fully recovered from being assaulted by a toucan at age five. We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. The works of Chicago-based artist Robert Porozinski are characterized by adaptation, change, transformation, and mutability. I think he is an amazing artist and a wonderful friend. You are the first artist that I met when I moved to Chicago in February. Um, I had known some artists before I moved here, but you, we met under like circumstances that had nothing to do with art. And then we ended up realizing that we were both artists and we actually live in the same neighborhood. So I think we were destined to be here and have this conversation. Yeah, I know. It was kind of funny that your first studio space was with David Joseph. Yep. And... Um, obviously, David's a really good friend of mine, yep. and, as well as Brad, um, who's yep. also an artist. And yeah, so it was just this odd sort of like connection that happened immediately. And it was a lesson that Chicago is really small because I thought I was coming to this giant city. And then I realized very quickly, it's really small. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially among artists, yeah. I think it's a very totally. tight knit community. Absolutely, and yeah, everybody seems to know everybody. Yeah, which I think is a good thing. It is a good thing. It's, it's a very good thing. A great support network, yeah. and I think, I mean, really, all the artists I know are just incredibly generous. Yep, I would say, mm-hmm. and they are always willing to help you know with advice or encouragement um it's i think it's a really good community i don't know if other cities are the same way yeah um i've lived in chicago my whole life so i don't have anything to compare to yeah but but it's yeah i don't i didn't really i wasn't tapped into the artist community i was kind of a, a lone wolf in Boston. Mm. And when I got here, I felt like I was welcomed with open arms to everybody. And um, it is tight knit. And I think that's really important, obviously, because we work often very um, solo, you know, we're, yeah, we're, it's by, by very isolating. <laughs> we're by ourselves. And um, so it's important to be able to have people that you can connect with for, for a lot of reasons, um, to bounce ideas off to, to get support. Um, I'm an extreme extrovert, so I, um, you know, it's important for me to be connected with people in general, but in what I'm doing for work, it's very important for me to, um, connect with people. It is. And I think, I think you're the exception for a lot of artists that you're very extroverted because I, (laughs) I always associate artists as being very introverted and, you know, I think and making right. that yeah. motion to yeah. like, you know, extra effort to like go out and meet people and yeah. talk about their work. And I think a lot of times artists don't do that Yeah, and definitely need to do it more. Yeah. Particularly when it comes to um, the, the ideas of like promoting your work and, oh, yeah. Like promoting work and yeah. um, and marketing yourself and, th- and things like that. Like I definitely, you know, as I get to know 
more artists, I'm realizing that that seems to be a, a common, um, you know, characteristic is that oftentimes they don't, they want to focus on the creative process alone. Um, mm -hmm. And they're not really thrilled about all that other stuff that sometimes needs to be done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're working on sort of both sides of the fence with that. You're creating things and you're selling them and yeah. you're promoting them and you're taking care of all the aspects. Yeah. And um, actually, I just saw this. It was posted. Jerry Sulse, the art critic, um, I think it's for the New York Times mm -hmm. um, or New Yorker, um, just posted something about 30 tips for artists or yep. how to be an artist. Uh -huh. And basically said one of them was that artists need to be vampires. Okay. Meaning that they mm. need to stay up late mm. and sort of congregate with their own kind mm -hmm. and just talk about art, their okay. work, each other's work. Um, and there were a lot of other points there, obviously, too, okay. which I encourage someone to Google it and look for those points because just some very solid advice i think to all artists. so maybe we can make that happen we can have some mm -hmm. sort of some all-night den where we can have all of our uh, artist friends <laughs> right. together so actually that's kind of what um so i invited you to an artist social that i did right, right. Uh, which by the way i'm having another one in january so um i think it, we ended up talking about cooking most of the time we didn't talk about fine. art at all actually <laughs> we didn't talk about art it at doesn't all. have to go that way so but. yeah so we had i think oh. we talked about the food and but that's totally cool yeah. um but yeah no i think it's important i think that that idea that you um, you know, that this guy's sharing right. about getting artists together, even if you're not talking about art, just being in that energy, mm -hmm. I think is really important. So I wanted to ask you about, because the one thing I don't know, well, there's many things about you that I don't know, but one of them that is important to me is when you started producing artwork were you like mm -hmm. the artsy kid? Were you not the artsy kid? I I definitely was the artsy kid okay. um, in grammar school, all through grammar school. You know, if something needed to be done, something needed to be drawn, if there okay. was some play that needed a backdrop or something. Robert was the kid that was assigned to I it? was the one that was volunteered. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I loved that. I yeah. mean, because I guess it's a way that you feel special somehow. Yeah. Um, so. Did the other, did the other kids know that, that like when, when these things would come up, like, uh, uh, something needed to be drawn, did they all think, Oh, Robert, yeah, they Robert would be dispatched on that pointed to me. Aww. So I, I loved that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was awesome. And actually I was just thinking about a, a picture of me when I was literally one years old with my sister on the floor, coloring, drawing with coloring books. Okay. I was in my diapers. And <laughs> it was, so it goes that far back. All right. For me that wow. I really have drawn my whole life. Okay. Um, I was obsessed with Walt Disney when I was in grade school. Really? And just, you know, the movies. And that was my big goal was to be an animator. To be an point. animator. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever do any animation? Like, did you ever do cartooning or did you do an like um, fool around with animation? I did uh, when I was still at the Art Institute. One of my uh, co-op jobs okay. uh, was with a place called Senate and Associates. And I don't think they exist anymore. But they produced a lot of animated cartoons and, well, really commercials. Yep. Captain Crunch commercials were a big thing for them. McDonald's oh, was. Oh, really? Okay. 
And so I worked on, in the old days, people actually painted cell cells. What? <laughs> Did you paint cells? Yeah. So I oh painted Oh my God, that's so cool. For what, 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 what were these um, used for? Well, it was, these were Captain Crunch commercials. And, Crunch. and then the McDonald's project. And by the way, on, according yeah. to Captain Crunch's, um, like his lapel, he's actually not a captain. He's a, oh. I think he's a colonel. So I'm just oh, throwing so, that out so there. So there was a technical Well, I think, so there. the animators had, okay. a, had a mistake because right. whatever, I don't know all the details. Was this a proper uniform? Whatever the number of stripes <laughs> are not captain. Okay. So you may want to uh, make some phone calls to those people that you worked uh, with right. and let them know. <laughs> <laughs> don't know where any of them are now, but... Um, it's a, that's a fun detail. <laughs> Does Captain Captain Crunch still exist? Doesn't it? Um, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, it was delicious. I remember Crunch Berries and oh yeah, couldn't get enough of those. So <laughs> I was recently speaking to someone who um, lived in Europe, and they don't have all of those cereals, like all those American. Oh really? Whatever. No, all those like whatever Kellogg's or General Fruit, General yeah, Mills cereals. boxes of sugar. Um, and so they actually have mm -hmm. restaurants where you get. A bowl of crunch berries. I think oh. I don't know if it was in Finland. It was someone I was speaking to, like in the last two weeks, and um, it was like some northern European country. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you go to a like, uh, and they charge a lot, and you go and you can order all. You can get crunch berries, Count Chocula, mm. um, all of that stuff that we grew up with is is, a is hard to get. Thing there, it's a thing there. <laughs> There's a thing there. Uh, well, yeah, a bowl of crunch berries would be incredible. That was the best part. So, I was yeah. a, I was a um, I was a fruity pebbles. No, yeah. I'm sorry, um, no, not fruity pebbles. A Fruit Loops um, fan until I, you know, Toucan Sam. Oh yeah. Okay, so Toucan Sam, love Toucan Sam, love Fruit Loops. I went to the Stone Zoo in Massachusetts. I was probably five years old. And they had an aviary, mm -hmm. and there was a toucan sitting on the railing of the aviary. And I went, I thought it was Toucan Sam, right. and I went up, and he bit me. Oh. And, <laughs> and I was yeah, traumatized, the... and I haven't eaten Fruit Loops since. Well, that's a terribly traumatic story, <laughs> Rick. <laughs> Sorry that had to happen it to you. It did happen. Um, yeah. I ate so much sugar as a child, I don't, I'm surprised I'm still alive. <laughs> So Walt Disney, did you ever watch that um, documentary about, it was an, a very extensive documentary about Walt Disney's life. I don't remember who produced it. It was like I four hours this. long. I don't know something. if I saw the whole thing, but I remember seeing parts of that. Okay. Yeah. So the thing about him that was, I didn't fully connect um, until I watched this, is how he was successful in so many areas. Because, um, you know, obviously he was an animator. Right. And then he did this, he, you know, he was so passionate about um, animation and what it could be mm -hmm. uh, that he actually made the first full length movie, which right. was Snow White, which no one had even, like the concept of doing that. I know, that was just unheard of. It was unheard of. And not only that, the amount of work to do that, because like you were talking about the process of like painting, you oh, know, yeah. and, and you, I don't know what it cells. is. And yeah, and I know Snow White, I, I don't know how many it was per second, but it was a huge amount so that it looked very smooth and sort of, you know, flawless. And there was just this smooth motion yep. through the whole thing. And yep. um, yeah, I mean, that, he was just, 
incredibly forward thinking in so many ways. Yeah. You know, with the idea of coming up with an amusement park. Well, that was that, the other thing is because he know, did this animation thing and then he did an amusement park, which like right. that has nothing to do with animation. Right. You know, that's a completely new, uh, you know, a new. Or, yeah, certainly on that level. Yeah. Where it was this, you know, not some carnival rides. It was, you know, just. It was, an immer- the it was scope an scope of anything else that yeah, was an, done before. an immersive experience, which I've never, I've never been there. Have you been the, to, to Oh Disneyland? yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. As I said, in grade school, Disney was everything to me. Yeah. So going to Disney world was just the ultimate. Yeah. Um, there was a book at the library. It was a gigantic book. I okay. mean, it was must've weighed like 25 pounds, uh, called the art of Walt Disney. Oh, and, with the big white one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that. And I think I would just check that book out constantly. I probably oh. had that book more than anybody else. <laughs> Nobody else could get it. Yeah. Um, I would just constantly check that book out. It was incredible. So does that include, is that everything? Is that just animation? Or does it also talk about um, parks and movies and everything? Um, yeah. I mean, I think it went up to like 19, late 1960s. Oh, okay. Sort of, so you know, that, that post Disneyland. Yeah. So it definitely went into Disneyland, Disney World and all those aspects so so one of the challenges that we have as artists as we probably you know not only have to be creative but we probably have to be a little bit of not a business person but you have to use that side of your brain it's like the left side and the right side and i know i know for me personally like i'm okay in both but it's hard to switch like I, I either have like, okay, today is a planning day or today is a right. painting day. Or do you have a similar experience? Um, I don't think I really divided up that consciously. Yep. I, I, you know, certainly have days where I'm going to be focused on creating artwork. Yep. And I th- kind of think after I create something that I feel I need to promote it. And that's more of a conscious effort that, oh, I need to post this, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or say something about it or. So do you feel like that's part of kind of part of the creative process? Yeah, I think it's necessary now that you just sort of have to really be conscious of putting your work out there so people could see it. And I mean, there's so much out there. I mean, my Instagram feed for me, it's just galleries and other artists that I follow. Yeah. And. I think I do it just because it is inspirational to me to just sort of look through that to, to look see through stuff, yeah. all the stuff that's going on. And in a way it's overwhelming, but it is inspiring. I mean, you look through that stuff and you think like, Oh, I got to get going. You know, I need to really start producing. <laughs> yeah. That can feel very, um, uh, sometimes that can make me feel a little panicky. Like yeah. I need to get going because all these other people are doing yeah, all this like, look stuff. at all the stuff that's going on yeah or as mm. people you know before before social media i think artists had the luxury of being in their own little you know we talked about working by yourself right and you could just focus on your stuff your, your stuff and not really be not have a viewpoint necessarily on what everyone else is doing right because sometimes it can be distracting sometimes i think it can be Right. In, inspiring. So getting back to um, like the process, how, how like sharing is part of, um, is that kind of exciting? Like I, you know, I finished this, this piece of work 
And I'm excited to get it out there in the world to see people's reaction type of oh, yeah. thing. Is that kind of where how you think about it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it serves as sort of a sounding board. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, I guess, read what kind of reaction you're getting from it, you know, yep. and that could be positive or negative or nothing or nothing nothing usually it's nothing is a bad sign yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean usually it's something but yeah some are certainly better than others and and those stand out you know do you usually know oh before you're you're posting it yeah do you usually know what do you have a does your gut tell you or you sometimes surprised sense that you know oh this is a really strong piece. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure this is going to have to get a good reaction. Yes. And, you know, um, although in terms of selling, um, I, I've read articles from people about Instagram and them selling so much work on Instagram. And I have to say that I've never, I don't think I've ever even had someone inquire about a price or to that extent. So okay. They'll make comments about it yep. or yep. that sort of thing. So, that's a whole aspect that I don't really fully understand. Um, is how to... Um, how people sell work through Instagram. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, well, maybe I will have a guest on here who, who has reveal successfully done that and we yeah. can both learn. I'll invite you and you, yeah. can be, you can be part of the conversation. I think that could be fun because um, I don't know how that's done either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's really a lot of invested time of following certain people, looking at other people that are successful doing it, look at who's following them. And, yeah. and it becomes this sort of, I don't know, developing some matrixes or something of, I don't know. It's mystical. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. I, I totally ag- ag- agree with you. Um, I was just talking to somebody else for um, another one, another podcast that I was recording and we talked about, um, you know, when, you're encountered with a challenge. One of the things that both of us would talk about that we did is we would find someone who does that rather than trying to figure Mm -hmm. it out on your own. Right. So I think that in this situation that you're talking about, about basically extending, you know, using Instagram in a way that we're uh, being successful in a way that we're currently not right is finding someone who's doing it and learn from them rather than trying to figure it out. Right. I think that might be a good, yeah. a good, th- a good thing to do. Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously at this point, galleries are not as important as they once were. Yeah. Um, there's just so many other outlets, yes. ways for people to get their work out there and yeah. galleries. I think there are a number of galleries that still want to believe it's the early 20th century yeah. and kind of want to have that control yep. over their artists. And I don't think that's realistic anymore. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Without naming names, I know. <laughs> okay. Well, I have an idea that I that I have an idea of something that could be uh, new. I, this is something that I saw in Boston, in I think it was the Hyde Park neighborhood of Boston, and this is probably something that's common, but I have never seen it before. It was basically um, I don't know what you call it, but we. We would get like a bunch of artists together and we would just rent out the space. So we could oh, do yeah. it on Clark just Street. Sort of a pop-up 
gallery space? Yeah, but space? it's permanent. We just pay, we all split the oh, rent. Oh, so, okay. It was a permanent space that you rented. Per- permanent space. Okay. Um, and we all, uh, you know, we all split the rent and then we take turns manning the store. Mm-hmm. And so each one of us has to work it X number of hours. And then, um, you know, we could, you know, we each get 100% of our, what our sale revenue. We just right. simply pay for um, the rent and whatever common expenses are. And we would just split the time. So we will mm. have to talk about that. That's I think an that interesting could be, idea. I think that could be interesting. How, ma- how many artists Well, we would have to. This? I think this one had, I'm going to guess about, 20 okay i think it was about 20 artists and i know that i spoke i remember speaking to them um i should probably when i'll set up a web page for this podcast and Mm -hmm. i'll 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 probably put their maybe i'll put their website on there but um yeah i I spoke to them like the last night it was one of my going away dinners in boston and they were right next to the restaurant and i went in and i remember talking to this woman but i was so i had so much going on when i was moving here the next day so I kind of forgot about it. But my good friend from Boston who was with me that night, he mentioned it. He's like, Rick, have mm-hmm. you ever done anything about that? Mm-hmm. So it's something that I'm thinking about. Yeah. So we should, our gang, our gang of artists that we talk about, our vampires. Right. We should <laughs> kind of assemble and yeah. We should assemble and, and look, at, look at maybe doing something like that. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, definitely. And I think 20, if you could get 20 artists, that's... I think that's a great number. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I think that's really the number that galleries should represent. And I think they tend to go way beyond that sometimes. Oh, too many. And it's just too many and they can't really devote attention yeah. to anybody then. Yeah. And yeah, so I think that might be a good number. We, let's do it ourselves. Yeah. We'll just do it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure people are probably always asking you, or maybe they're not like, where do you get your inspiration, Robert? But your stuff is so, um, it's very varied, uh, which I love. Um, and so, I mean, can you, yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? I know that you do like collections of stuff that's all kind of the same thing. Right. And then you will shift on to something completely totally different. Gears. Can you tell me about like where that comes from? Um, I'll say that I really get inspiration from a lot of different things. I mean, certainly, you know, looking, as I said, at other people's work, if it's going on and, you know, being inspired by that. But I mean, even just walking in the neighborhood, yes, there's so much to see. I have to say, honestly, just walking through alleys and seeing collections of garbage. Absolutely. If it's totally metal, like collections of metal or something like HVAC, like duct work or something, I was into duct work for a while which is strange um i mean just collections of leaves or branches um completely i'll even create models a lot of times um what what do you mean models well like prototypes sort of prototypes yeah that i'm working to paint from and a lot of them initially kind of looked sort of plant flower like and it would just be creating cutouts of paper with prints printouts on them okay. and stuff sticking them in a styrofoam ball so i mean it's just very low tech okay so and would this be source for a two-dimensional piece of artwork yeah. or for the three okay so yeah. for a two-dimensional so it's okay. really the inspiration for a two, two-dimensional piece okay. but it was a re- way of creating something that was unusual or surprising to me and um 
actually from that, just from those cutout shapes, at one point, I happened to just see them laying on the ground and just sort of that random scattered look that they had yeah. was an inspiration for a lot of other pieces that I did that happened after that. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it, a lot of the inspiration comes from, I think, just doing the work and being in your studio yeah. and finding things ac accidentally and looking at how something happens that yeah. you didn't expect to see. So that's interesting. Um, so I can completely relate to um, what you said about things falling on the, on mm -hmm. the floor and how that is like making connections in your brain that you right. want to extend that or you or like an alleyway completely get that like I yeah. see reflect sunlight reflections on objects and I'm like oh my god that's so interesting yeah. so is that something that um most what, do you think that's something that only some people have or do you think people have that and they don't exercise it is it something that requires development I think I mean, it's probably something that artists do just because that's where our heads are at, that we just look at things from some other perspective, maybe yes. and look at things that other people don't notice and, Correct. and see the beauty in them or the interesting thing about that thing. And it's, um, so I think people could be maybe trained to do it, to okay. notice those things and, and look for those oddball curiosities that you come across every day that are always in front of you but but they're inter they're interesting yeah yeah okay yeah i do think that um yeah i definitely think so starting um so that way of seeing the world for me started when i bought a camera because okay. then yeah. i was because uh, i tooled around with i mean i was like an, an artsy kid but it was more like um it was more about creating stuff out of my brain as opposed to observing the world in the way that we just described right. and kind of getting inspired. Um, and I kind of was just going through the world like most people do and sort of taking things, um, viewing things for sort of um, in, a, in a normal way. It didn't come out right. But, um, but it wasn't until I took, when I got my first real camera and I was kind of forced to focus on composition because that's right. the, that's a big thing with with a camera, and you sort of start re slowly rewiring your brain when you're doing right. that to kind of see things in a different way. And then when you start um, drawing, but more when you start with painting, mm -hmm. with um, when you have to focus on value and shapes, right. and not looking at the shape of the object, but you're looking at the shape of the values. Right. That's where it real my brain really started to get rewired to see the world in a different way and that's when i would start walking through alleys and mm -hmm. seeing things in a different way do you right. know what i'm talking about oh yeah i mean i think i mean i think that's sort of a real fundamental thing with drawing especially if you're doing something that's representational when you're looking at it you're really looking at it as shapes and yes. these areas of color and how they relate to each other and it's piecing all those things together. Um, you know, so you really are kind of flip-flopping in your head back and forth that you're seeing it 
as the thing that it really is, yeah. but then also just seeing it as shapes. Yeah, isn't that cool? And it's sort of seeing it in this very objective way. It's a it's a nice little escape, kind yeah. of from the real world when yeah. you have to kind of take yourself out of, you know, the way that you see the world when you and I are walking down the street talking mm-hmm. to when we're by ourselves walking down an alley, and you can kind of you know, reconfigure your brain to look at things in the way that we would when you're doing a a drawing like you just described. Right. Cool. Do you think, um, so what, what do you think about the, do you think painting is drawing? Do what's your, what do you think the relationship between drawing and painting? I mean, I think they're really closely related, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, I mean, if I'm thinking back at, you know, doing figure drawing classes, yeah. And it's really the same principle. I mean, you're looking at these shapes and and you're probably doing it in black and white, but it's, you're looking at shapes and forms and putting those things together and, you know, size relationships and all of that. I mean, with paint, it's just that added dimension of now you're dealing with color theory and neutralizing colors and, you know, working all of that out. So, but you're still fundamentally dealing with, you know, those, those areas and maybe some more with texture, you know, there's a physical texture to paint. And so it's, but they're very closely related, I think. Yeah. So I took a class at the Florence Academy of Art and Mm. it was a, it was like a workshop. So it was like six weeks and it was drawing and painting, but we started out with just drawing and the way they structured it was because I had been painting and drawing and all that, but the way that they trained us during this period was we started with drawing and then it was drawing that would lead into painting because we would be drawing and they would they would force us to do everything with blocks of similar values. Okay. Um, and blo- you know blocks of shading. So then when we switched to painting, we basically painted those. You know, we would paint and focus on blocks right. of um, similar value and it kind of rewire um, it kind of made me think about painting in a different way that drawing is very foundational mm-hmm. and quite frankly it kind of expanded my view on a lot of things in life that there are foundations that I hadn't right. really paid attention to that are really important so for instance, this sounds kind of crazy, but like it really, that concept of drawing leading is a foundation of painting mm-hmm. led me into stretching when I go to the gym now, because I can see as stretching as being, you can't separate it from like fitness and cardio okay. and weightlifting. Like they're all part of the same thing. Right. And does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's, you know, you're, as we were talking about earlier, there is sort of that left brain, right brain aspect to painting or being an artist, but there obviously is an underlying structure or approach that you need to sort of go through. There's a foundation of sort of learning the rules before you can break them yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that's definitely true in painting as well as other things too, of course. Yep. Yeah. So there is that underlying foundation I think you have to have. So in what you do every day, you are using these parts of our brain that we talked about where we're seeing the world in a different way and, or we're seeing, we're seeing things in a different way. We are finding interest and trying to express them. 
um, I, I'm, I'm not trying to describe your process, but mm-hmm. in general, like that's kind of what, you know, what you're doing, that's using parts of your thinking in your brain that are very different from most jobs. Um, I think that in many jobs, people have the opportunity to think, um, think creatively, think differently, invent new things, um, maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, in a lot of jobs, you really don't. I, I think in a lot of jobs, the rules have been and the tasks have been established. And the way that you're successful is by doing the tasks correctly and doing a lot of the tasks, right. doing more tasks than the person next to you right. type of thing. Um, I guess I would associate it with, I mean, I would say that in certain professions, you know, say you're a lawyer. Yep. Um, and I think this has to do with, you know, where you're going to be successful or not successful, that sort of thing. But I mean, if you're a lawyer, you sort of follow this path of things, you know, you get the certain degree, you get, you know, a job with a certain law firm and you follow this path and it's going to equal this success by doing these things. And for artists, it's really not the same. Mm -hmm. There is no real clear path. Mm -hmm. Everyone's story is different. Yep. You know, if you look at, you know, artists that are maybe like really super financially successful. Um, there's no one story for any of those people. Yep. It happens in different ways. Yep. So for artists, I think it's always the own your, it's your own reward is your work. Yep. I mean, ultimately it comes down to that. Okay. It's, um, you have to be happy with that and find, yourself in your work that's 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 very different from a lawyer yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it's definitely a different it's a different goal yeah i think yeah um that's its own reward i think for artists i think for artists time is also the most important thing is what do you mean by that that i think that's the biggest struggle for artists is finding the time to do their work because so many, in so many cases, artists can't do that full time. Right, right. So it gets pushed aside and you have to search for that time to focus on your work. Right. And that could be the, uh, one of the biggest challenges, I think. So, so this idea of your own work is the own re- your own reward. Do you have any thoughts about that mentality actually being of value to someone in a non- creative job and the way because when you Mm -hmm. said that it made me think about um maybe someone in a not you know a non-creative job like maybe you're a project manager or Mm -hmm. you're a a nurse or or, or something that's not traditionally associated with creativity um but focusing on the excellence and what you're doing as opposed to focusing on the a what? new way of doing it <laughs> as, as opposed to what not necessarily a new way of doing it if you're you know someone that's it's where it's a very technical skill that you're working with um you know surgeon surgeons um but but i think even in those jobs there are levels of creativity i mean there's people that come up with new ways of doing things you know as a surgeon if you're you know maybe a coder 
you know, you're coming up with new ways of doing that yep. within a parameters of, you know, coding. Right, right. And so, I mean, I think maybe all jobs have some aspects of creativity, depending on what level you're at, maybe in pushing those limits, you know, within the confines of the rules right. of that job. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it dep- I think it depends on what you, on what you do. I think that there's probably um I think most people probably have to be really creative about finding creativity <laughs> because of what I was just, you know, the what we were yeah. just talking about is like how yeah. your how performance is judged. It's really um you know, it's pretty it's it's pretty much set down and um I think that definitely would be um, something that would be challenging. We're going yeah. To well, I mean, for, c- certainly I think f- artists, the whole point of being an artist in a lot of ways is to break the rules, is to do something that's different, to make people see something in some other new way. Yes. So it's sort of the fundamental element of what it is to be okay. an artist, I think. And so that is part of the job is breaking the rules. Yep. So, uh, yeah, you, it's definitely an area where you creativity is one of the most important and valued, I think, characteristics of it. So one of the, so the point of this podcast really for me at this point because I don't know where this is going to go <laughs> is to have conversations with creative leaning people so whether it's artists or just people that I know that do things in a different way um, and to try to just think of the about people people that do jobs that aren't traditionally creative and to get them. To, to just talk about ways to open up people's brains and to get people to be using the part of the brain that you use every day mm-hmm. or that we were talking about seeing things that people see every day in a different way and trying to get that to people. I'm not sure how I'm right. going to do it. You know, I think it's uh, obviously, we, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to figure that out today. Um, and it's probably going to take a while for, and a lot of conversations to figure that out. But I think that's, I'm kind of passionate about that because I think that the, all of those things that we just talked about, about as, ac, um, accessing our minds in a way that is different from most people, right? I think it could be really impactful and important for people. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, if someone that isn't typically involved in the arts or any sort of creative creative activity it probably would benefit anybody you know to take a class in something that they're not usually familiar with you know it's a potting class or painting class drawing or making something and i think that probably activates it it does activate it but people but people are scared of that people always make the joke like oh you know i can't draw a stick figure and and they're and they're very hesitant to to jo- to do the class because they feel like they will look stupid or right. they will and they and but and I agree with you I think it will I think it would activate people's brain yeah um, 
So yeah, I don't think we can force anybody <laughs> into it. Um, but definitely it's something I think more people should consider. And I think it gives them probably a greater appreciation for people that do it full time. Yeah. You know? And I think it's something that really everybody should do. So do you think that people are, um, are more, are, are ultimately can be trained to be an artist as opposed to, I mean, do, do you think a big, a big, is it like learning a new language, like learning French as opposed to something that you have ingrained talent that needs to be discovered or developed? Um, I think, uh, you know, of course I think there's certain people that are just born with innate talents and activities that they're lean towards. Um, but I do think really anybody can switch that lever of creativity and learn how to do something, you know? And yeah. it's, I think really anybody can learn to draw if they're sort of pointed in the right direction of how to look at something. Sure. And I think anybody can become better at that. Yeah. You know, if they want to and, so I think it's a spectrum, yeah, really. I, you know, certainly I, I, people that just have an innate yep. gift for it. And I would agree. I, I, um, I, when I was living in Florence, Italy, for that workshop that I told you, I was there for seven weeks. And obviously, you've been to Florence and you see yeah. how ridiculous oh, everything I know. It's, is. It's like certainly the place to be inspired. Yeah, <laughs> and there's just so much that the the art is everywhere and it is obvious that that was considered a valuable trade and oh, yeah. but i guess the thing that i thought of when i was there was the people that lived during the time when all of this stuff was the time periods when this was produced they weren't necessarily different from us they weren't no. born with all of this talent. They were just like us. But it was because it was valued, I guess, in mm -hmm. their culture that this was considered um, something that is like a noble profession to be right. producing and to be learning. And it just made me think like we could produ be producing that same level of art right now with our current people on this planet if right. we valued that. So yeah. it's kind of like when we talk about that spectrum, I feel like the percentage of people that actually are talented is a lot bigger than we realize, but we just don't focus on it because everyone's focusing on becoming a lawyer or a project manager. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that definitely goes down a whole other road. About <laughs> that will be episode what's, two of what's this. Valued, how art is valued now. Yeah. Um, I think today there's just a huge disparity. There's a very tiny percentage of artists that are highly valued. Yeah. And then there's everybody else. Yeah. And the 1%. Yeah. Or a fraction of that percent. <laughs> and, and in that regard, it's all about the market and the value those works have. Yep. And trading them like a commodity. Yep. Which I think that's certainly a reflection of the rest of our society, though. Sure. It's everything is a commodity, and there's a very few that are going to benefit from it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think art is 
still highly valued in our society, but again, it's like very disparate. So, uh, yeah. So are there a couple of things that you could share with people that are listening to this uh, uh, that they can integrate that creative part of their brain um, in what they're currently doing? Um, how, how they can do yeah, that a in couple, their everyday a couple, life? A couple things that they could do to, um, to activate that, I guess. Those are the words that you used. I mean, I, again, I would just, I would encourage people to, you know, to just, they don't even have to take a class. Maybe if they just want to step out of their comfort zone and, and do a drawing of something of their child or their parents or whoever they want, or just some still life or, or just even go for a walk like we were talking about and look at things that they wouldn't normally notice or just yeah. took a closer look at something that just would normally just be passed by yep. and see the detail and the beauty in that. Um, so maybe go for a walk without your iPhone. Right. Where you're actually <laughs> really looking at things. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Or, you know, like, as you said, you know, photography was sort of a, a, a bridge for you yeah. to make that um, step into creativity and seeing things in a different way. Cause it's forcing you to compose something yeah. and see something in that, that rectangle and create something that's a different vision than you would normally see it. That might be a great tool for people to use to do that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, Robert, thank you so much. This was a really great conversation. And I think we, there's a bunch of things that I want to continue talking to you about. So maybe we can figure Definitely. out if you can come back because this, this was I great. would love to come back and thank you for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking. <laughs> thanks right. again. All right, bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Eager to Know. You can see Robert's work at rporozinski.com. That's R-P-O-R-A-Z-I-N-S-K-I.com. You can find additional content related to my discussion with Robert at eagertoknow.com. That's eager to know with the number two. Eager to Know is a weekly podcast. <laughs>